Welcome to the party, pals. I'm Phil Gawthorne, action movie screenwriter. And I'm Liam Billingham, movie podcaster. And together we host Die Hard on a Blank, a podcast from Sugar23 that explores the influence of Die Hard on action cinema. In each episode, we'll talk about one major action movie that was released after Die Hard. Now, some of these movies take place on a bus. On a boat. Or even a roadhouse. Uh, sure. The point is, these are action movies that couldn't exist without Die Hard, and its DNA is everywhere. Die Hard on a Blank is a celebration of action movies and a deep dive into the ways that Die Hard shaped the action genre. So if you're a casual fan or an action movie Die Hard. Ooh, very nice. Then Die Hard on a Blank is for you. Yes, you personally. Our first two episodes, which are all about the original 1988 masterpiece Die Hard, drop December 21st, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie, wherever you get your podcasts. Phil, do the line. Now we have a podcast. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. Hello, everybody. This is Liam Billingham, co-host of Oeuvre Busters. Before we jump into this week's episode on Joel Cohen's The Big Lebowski, you might notice that this week's episode sounds a little different, at least this intro. And that's because, for reasons that I won't get into, but they relate to vomit, I do not have access to my recording equipment, and I'm currently standing in my closet recording on my iPhone. So there's that. But you might notice it's, it's not too bad. It doesn't sound great. But um, I wanted to do this to encourage you to please record a voice memo and send it to oeuvrebusters at gmail.com about this episode, about your thoughts on The Big Lebowski, about our thoughts on The Big Lebowski. This is one of the more popular, this is definitely the most popular movie we've ever talked about. Um, And we'd love to get some feedback um, on our thoughts, on your thoughts, whatever you might happen to think. We, We did have a voicemail from Pete Rinaldi that we did in our first season and And that was a lot of fun, so maybe we'd like to get more of that from you. Not maybe, definitely, definitely. Record a voice memo, or do it however, and you send it to oeuvrebusters at gmail.com, and we will take it, and we'd love to hear from you. Um, If you are craving more oeuvrebusters content, and even if you're not, you should go ahead and subscribe to Film Wax Radio. You can find it at filmwaxradio.com or on all of your podcast apps. Um, Our buddy Adam, who hosts that show, invited us on his podcast, and we shot the shit for a couple hours a few weeks ago, and that episode came out on Thursday, and it was really fun. Adam, Adam, you know, has been doing his show for a long time. That episode was somewhere in the 500s, and he's had incredible people. He had Mike Lee on. Mike Lee and Paolo Polakowski. He's had Barbara Koppel. He's had amazing names, amazing filmmakers, and he was nice enough to ask us to come hang out and talk for a while, and we got into some stuff. So that's FilmWax Radio. Go subscribe, uh, rate, and review, and also subscribe, rate, and review to our show. Okay, that's it. I've talked for too long. This is a long episode. Please enjoy this episode. Okay, bye-bye. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm George Lebowski. And this... And this is Uber Busters. Busters. I'll stay at the season. I'll stay at the season. Yeah. Uh, just, just before we jump in, this is 1998, and Philip Seymour Hoffman is—he's like a known quantity, but I wouldn't yeah. say he's—he's um, the the actor that we now know today and very, very fondly remember. So there's George, a lot of work, obviously, prior to this. 
let's go through the list up to here. We won't be covering any of the movies in detail on the podcast, um, but he did a bunch of stuff. He was previously in Next Stop Wonderland, um, Montana, Culture. These I don't know. I know Next Stop Wonderland. I don't know the other films. He was in a little movie called Boogie Nights. Yes, I've this. heard of it. Um, oh, I haven't seen that movie in a very long time. I haven't seen it in a long time. I, I holds we could have maybe done it, but you had to pick The Master. Oh, so By the way, I, I, I love... <laughs> I love how you called me out on making this pick because he's barely in it, but he's in almost every fucking scene in the master. And you're like, oh, why'd you pick the master? He's not barely in this movie. I disagree with that. But I disagree that, with it also. Well, I was actually pleasantly surprised at how much of Philip Seymour Hoffman there is. There's in this a lot movie. of Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah. in this movie. Uh, he was in Twister. He was in Heart Eight. I'm uh, he going played, backwards. He played one of the tornadoes. He played a, played a Dustin Dusty no, the, the, Davis, land, directed right? by Jan Debont. Yeah, I, I just passed right over that. Heart Eight, Paul Thomas Anderson's is first there, film. Is there a better director name to say out loud than Jan Debont? Uh, that's actually but, true. That's a really good. Just one. say it. it makes John Cassavetes. Mm, it's it's not as it doesn't, it doesn't flow it doesn't trippingly flow. from the tongue yeah. to quote Hamlet, another film that. Philip Seymour Hoffman was in the 15-minute Hamlet. Uh-huh. Trippingly off the tongue is from Hamlet, isn't it? Isn't that the, the speech to the players? I mean, I have a tattoo on my back, so okay, after just, we record, yeah, I take off my shirt. And he was in Nobody's Fool, When a Man Loves a Woman, The Getaway, Money for Nothing, Scent of a Woman. That was kind of a big movie. He had a big part in that. So he'd done a couple films prior to this, but probably at this point was best known for Boogie Nights Yeah, and When a Man Loves a Woman. And who was he in Boogie Nights again? His character's name in Boogie Nights was Scotty J. He was the one who was in love with Mark Wahlberg. There's that really sad scene where he's like, can, oh, I, yeah, can I kiss yeah. you in the mouth right now? Yeah. It's so sad. Um, it's a shame we're not doing it. So before we go any further, should we summarize this thing? Let's, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's summarize this thing. Do you want to do the honors? Sure, I'll try. Um, so what this film is about. Sorry, I'm just being a dick. <laughs> no, uh, I think I feel free to jump in. Um, the film is about a guy named Jeff Lebowski who is uh, comes off sort of as a, a relaxed stoner dude living in sort of the outskirts of L.A. who um, one day is visited by two goons who stuff him into a toilet and piss on his rug because they've confused him with another Jeff Lebowski who's a wealthy man uh, in, the, in the city who has a um, sort of interesting sidekick named Brandt played by Philip Seymour Hoffman and the big Lebowski who's the wealthy Lebowski asks Jeff Lebowski to uh, act as a courier for ransom because his wife has been kidnapped correct this sets off a series of increasingly complicated and convoluted adventures with his uh, Vietnam veteran Jewish convert buddy Walter (laughs) and their Slightly daft buddy Donnie. I like this film. I'm not crazy about it, but I will say this. With almost every Coen Brothers movie, the more times I watch it, the more more I like the film. And I think that it's it's hard to say that uh it would it would be hard to say that like i i've i've reached a proper level of appreciation for it because i think i've i've seen it once in 1999 and once in 2019 so where do you think it fails or where do you i feel let's get into the let's get into the let's get i think that part of my let's let me say this i think part of my issue with this movie and this is not an issue of the film is the role it plays in our culture i'm very very exhausted by the veneration of the coen brothers by dude it's funny you say that too because watching this again I also was really thinking about like, obviously, uh, Jeff Bridges, uh, Lebowski, 
is supposed to be like the hero and he clearly is the hero. Right. But I, I also watching it again, I wonder to what degree um, he's also supposed to be like completely and utterly, um, I don't know, like um, pathetic in a certain way. Right? A, well, yeah. he's and, well, and, and, and like, whose version of pathetic is this guy? He, uh, what do you the, mean? Well, I think that speaks to the politics of what. The right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wonder, like, to what degree are we supposed to also be critical of him because he does represent, and obviously a failed like new a left. Fa- right. Exactly. But this let's film talk, is fucking our way th- amazing. It's good. Yeah, I don't think as I'm as I'm as crazy about oh it as you God. are, but I think it's a uh, it's. Why do you love it so much? Just it's it's. I mean, I would I would I um okay. Well, first of all, because I read it as an allegory for how horrible American politics is, oh. which pretty much is what every film noir is fundamentally about. It's, it's about the, yeah. It's about the massive crime that is America, <laughs> and I don't think it's a coincidence that this film begins with the tumbleweed that it begins with all like the cowboy shit well it's interesting that it's a cowboy storyteller like the iconic american image as a storyteller is pretty interesting and about like the expansion west and Mm -hmm. you don't have like the manifest destiny yeah exactly you don't have like the expansion west without having obviously like the the indian wars and and genocide of the uh native populations of the indigenous peoples on this continent uh nothing that the movie talks about explicitly but but but, well it so it does of course los angeles by itself is an example of manifest destiny right but also it does in the uh in vietnam which is of course all over this oh of course that's a good point so if for me the not the literal genocide of of the american correct yeah yeah Uh, are you guys laughing yet the (laughs) yeah this is gonna be a really really light episode this is a dour episode so um that stuff, obviously, the fact that it takes place uh, during the Gulf War, the very, first very, Gulf War, very prominently takes place yeah. during the first Gu- so Gulf War. All of that shit, like this film, is completely and utterly about American imperialism and also about the failure of the '60s to kind of stop that American imperialism. I think it's just about Done. a bunch of dudes bowling and hanging out <laughs> and um, getting high. Let's talk our way through the movie and right. let's let's you know it begins. It begins with tumbleweeds. It begins with a slow pan up to reveal Los Angeles, yeah. and then a tumbleweed travels and travels and travels and you until hear the sultry voice, voice of Oscar nominee Sam, Sam Elliott, Elliott. Um, playing a cowboy, telling us the story of the dude. The dude. Quickly, better mustache Sam Elliott in this or Seymour Cassell in Minnie Mouse Woods? Uh. Seymour Cassell forever. Correct. Yeah, that mustache. Um, so the first scene of this, the, the first mustache. scene of this movie uh, is the first real scene of this movie is in a supermarket, and Lebowski is Jeff Lebowski, played by Jeff Bridges, and a really great performance. Oh my god, amazing! Um, yeah. Is buying ha- cream, half and half, for his Caucasians, his of white course. Russians, and um, the narrator has already brought up that this is the Iraq. War the Iraq yeah. the first invasion I think is happening so yeah. we're talking like ninety one right ninety one yeah ninety one yeah, yeah. which is also interesting by the way to think about like this film was only made seven years later and to think about like <sighs> what it means in the sense of like oh my god prefiguring uh, what's you know, to come Bush the second yeah <laughs> it's it's kind of like it knew what was gonna happen <laughs> it kind of does yeah and I wrote down I wrote this as a question like why I mention Iraq because yeah. again I didn't remember that and I haven't seen it in twenty years yeah. and um. I, the last time I saw this film was before 9-11. Yeah. Far more um, innocent times. Like. Far different times. And he goes, the, and then there's, um, as he, he takes his uh, stuff up to the supermarket, up to the checkout, and you see Bush, Bush the senior on the TV say, yeah. this aggression will not, not stand, stand, which um, I think is actually a great 
line for this film entirely and, and sort of uh, where the, the that kind of encapsulates everything i think it kind of encapsulates everything or i think it kind of encapsulates like the dude's mentality yeah but he, and he pays for this milk with a check for i believe 69, 69 cents nice nice um and <laughs> did you just turn the podcast off <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> but it's just a la- it's a, uh, obviously also just amazing that he cuts a check for 69 cents. Um, Taking a playbook from the school of Suzanne Billingham, yeah. my mother. <laughs> Does she um, still write checks? He goes back to his apartment? Does she still write checks your ass? I don't know. I, I should find out. I'll yeah. ask her. I haven't seen her <laughs> for anything at the supermarket in a long time. <laughs> he goes back to his apartment. And he's attacked by two idiots. By these goons. They pee on his carpet. Pee on his carpet. And they're looking, obviously, for the wrong Lebowski. They're looking for a different Lebowski. And it's great, though, too, because he's, at some point, after they dunked his head in the toilet a couple times, he's like, look around, man. Do I look like I'm rich? Yeah, and they're, <laughs> and like, they're like, oh. Yeah, this guy's rich. <laughs> um, like so they leave, up. but they piss on his rug. The whole movie is kind of reminded me of John Wick, and that John Wick begins with the death of a dog, and yeah. this movie begins with a carpet. So I sad. need to watch John so Wick. Those again. are the same fucking. I fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, carpets and dogs. So the next scene, next we're scene. bowling, and we're we bowling. are introduced to Walter and Donnie. Walter, played by John Goodman, who's fucking amazing. amazing. I think he <laughs> does so his best amazing. work in the in the Coen Brothers films. Wouldn't he you might, say so? Uh, I mean, I've, it's it's hard. Uh, I don't know. Those first couple of seasons, Roseanne, he's amazing in those. He is good in those, yeah. but I mean, he's amazing come on, in this man. fucking film. He he's great. So good. And then Steve Buscemi playing like maybe the most <laughs> thankless role of his entire career. But it's just great how he inhabits though the role, like because Steve Buscemi obviously can do anything. Play anything. Yeah, he's an amazing actor. And in this film, you definitely take him as being this kind of like schlub who's completely and utterly just com- totally Very confused, bullied around by Walter. Who was. And I, I actually, one of the reasons, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, oh, right, just like the tagline, like, shut the fuck up, Donnie, which he says about, shut the fuck up, Donnie. Which is about 20 times. One of the reason that I, uh, reasons that I don't like this movie, or uh-huh. that I, it's not that I don't like the movie, it's that I really struggle with the way John Goodman treats people in this movie. Like it really, it really, it, it like, really it, like, it really sets me up. Like, I don't know. It's just, he's such an asshole. He is. Yeah. That's um, and he's not there to the, to the, I think to the Coen brothers credit, they don't work hard to, for you to have sympathy with him. Maybe the only moment you have well, sympathy with him is like very late in the film. At the end with, yeah. With, um, with the ashes. But, yeah. um, but he's also, I mean, I think again, this is also one of those things where are you supposed to, uh, feel some sort of sympathy for him right. because he's clearly like a damaged dude. I just, I mean, again, like the, it's also great because both of them represent like these different. They're they're both different children of the '60s, right? Whereas Lebowski, what I keep calling Lebowski, the dude, the dude. Well, his name is Lebowski. Yeah, but he was, you know, a dropout, right? A, um, an activist, which kind of comes comes up later, later, which is kind of what gives the movie any grounding. I think when we find out when that very scene later with Julianne Moore, yeah. Um, Anyway, and then obviously Walter went to Vietnam, and everything's about Vietnam to the point where the dude's like, Don't, "Walter, what the well, fuck?" Well, and you also the way everything's about Vietnam. I think another thing the movie pre- predicted uh-huh. a little bit is this kind of like fervent, kind of neocon quality that is tied up with Judaism and being a oh, Jew. Oh, that's that, really like, interesting. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, I don't think twenty years ago we were thinking about all like, and not that there's a lot. Like it's like you know, I mean, I was having conversations recently. Like this whole like Jews for Trump thing yeah. is like two percent of Jews because like yeah. most Jews are not insane. Yeah, but like, what are the, they trying to brand it as Jexit? Right? Oh my god, like, you get me out of here! I know. Um, put me in a fucking rocket and shoot like, me to Mars, please. I think the point that the film is trying to make subtly yes. is that it's always been there. And that's why yeah. I think like the the you know like cowboy stuff is there. This um, journey to the West, which is made explicit at the very very end, is there. Yeah, and that's why I think like the, what the argument that the film is making is that there's a continuation, so that the colonizing of the continent 
eventually obviously also led to things like Vietnam and like right now 1991 the film is what's happening fucking in Iraq I think yeah. that's like the continuum that is like below the surface that the film is really trying to bring out boy this season is just full of laughs already we're just goofing <laughs> here no you're right no oh, it's no, interesting and, and the poop so bowling bowling uh is pl- plays a big role in these guys lives they're at the bowling rink and we hear the expression unchecked aggressive aggression uh, oh at well, one yeah. point and mm. i feel like again aggression is this thing that keeps coming through up walter. in this movie through walter he's talking about unchecked aggression these the the dynamic between these three guys mirrors the dynamic of 1998's basketball Ooh, and i'm not kidding deep. Uh, donnie's a little bit of squeak and Coop is a little bit like the Le- uh, the Big Lebowski yeah. by like like Jeff Lebowski, and of course you have a little bit of Doug Reamer in Walter. Well, of course, yeah, yeah definitely. Course, yeah, uh, no, I actually literally wrote down kind of like basketball. Fuck Mary Kill Walter Donnie the dude. Oh, Go. Uh, fuck the dude. No, no, marry the dude. Kill Walter. Yeah, fuck Donnie. I would do the other. I would, I would kill Walter, marry Donnie, yeah, and fuck the dude. Oh, that works. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that works. That's a good, that's a pretty good answer. So then the next scene is, uh, so they're basically they're giving a uh, hard, he's like, oh my God, they peed on my, they pissed on my carpet. Uh, and he goes looking for the actual uh, Lebowski. Lebowski. And yeah. we're introduced to, to Brant. Brant, played, played by, by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's, he's uh, the big Lebowski's yeah. assistant. I was um, actually really, so he, and he's actually the first one we see before we see the the actual Bill, Big Lebowski himself. Um, but it was funny because when I picked this film, I think we said it during the draft too, where we're like, oh my God. Or you said it like, Philip Seymour Hoffman's not in that movie. Yeah, well, and it was I really actually pleasant surprise that he was in, in it for more than 30 seconds. I breathed a sigh of relief <laughs> that his name came before Fleas in the <laughs> credits for this movie. But he was also on the first multi-cast member page. And I was uh, like, yeah. so it's interesting to think like he probably had made, he'd made Boogie Nights, but I feel like you you don't like, you, he's remembered for Boogie Nights only in retrospect. When that movie came out, the big thing was, who's this Paul Thomas Anderson guy? Yeah. Wow, Mark Wahlberg, Heather Graham, um, just being like, you know, a movie star and kind of, you know, like she was kind of like yeah. the it girl for a while. The return of Burt and Reynolds. Burt Reynolds, right? So, and I don't really think anyone was, th- like I think Philip Seymour Hoffman Told, had just yeah. given like a really sturdy performance in that movie. Correct. He wasn't what the movie was going to be. He like hadn't gone on to become Philip Seymour Hoffman. Right. So, and we're doing Happiness next, which you've seen. <sighs> Have you never seen Happiness? No, oh, I, I'm not I'm actually dreading it, but he plays, I'm sure, uh, more sizable. I guess what I'm trying Much to say is that he part. hasn't, he, it's still a uh, while away before he's like Philip Seymour. Yeah, Hoffman. exactly. Yeah. So, um, so he shows up in this movie. Uh, he's like wearing a suit. He's kind of nervous. He's kind of needy. Um, I took a bunch of notes on this, um, and we can. I think we should come back to it a little bit. But I, I think you can. There's a lot to this performance. Yes. I think there's actually yeah. a lot going on with this performance. So, what did you read it as? I'm curious because you said you had like a take on it. Well, or even just kind of the relationship that he has with. Well, I think one, one, I think that it's worth noting that this film is heavily, heavily influenced by The Big Sleep, both the book by Raymond Chandler and also the the film. Um, in that, it the main character Philip Marlowe. There's been a lot of incarnations of Philip Marlowe, but he's like you know kind of like a bohemian detective, so to speak. His client is a wealthy older man in a wheelchair. The convoluted nature of the plot, the kind of like varied love interest like yeah. it's all very much pulled from the big sleep and um if i remember correctly i haven't seen the big sleep in quite a few years but there's no equivalent for the brant role there's no brant there's like a butler that shows him in maybe has mm. two or three lines yeah. and that role is significantly expanded in this version of the 
Well, no. see, I just um, read him as hey, go. Please take the lead as kind of like a young uh, Reaganite. As yes, kind of this this you know, in the, in the wake of like the triumph of Reagan, uh, and now obviously with uh, Bush in office, that it's like this kind of continuation of this very certain kind of particular uh, right winger, ambitious, ambitious. Yeah, um, and no, and it's fitting too, right? Because he shows him a picture of like Nancy Reagan. Right, he and, does. And so like, oh, like Mr. Lebowski. Exactly. So Brant is showing him around and kind of like extolling these like images and 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 his reputation and all these things, um, and he's very sort of upright yeah in this scene yeah but throughout the film he devolves a little bit he does well periodically. This is, yeah and this is also really funny too where he asks uh the dude he's like oh have you been did you go to college and he's like well he's like i spent a lot of time like occupying occupying administration buildings which is like a really interesting line yeah yeah which is where like the politics of the 60s come through in yeah. relationship obviously to the dude in particular right exactly um, and he says something about obviously protesting against like rotc on campus so it's in these kind of like pockets in these moments where the politics of the film like really shine. Right. It's really, really fascinating. Or not even the politics of the film because the politics of the film actually I think are a bit of enigma. I think I think you can definitely draw a conclusion of, about sure. where they might be, but the politics of the character. Yeah, okay. And maybe the kind of like retroactive, the way that we're meant to perceive like the the way the left evolved in 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 uh, you know post Vietnam yeah. and post these kind of like Reagan era Reagan's all over this movie without being all over this totally this movie, yeah so to without speak. question um, and that's yeah. when you then meet so he walks in and he has like his conversation with the big Lebowski Big Lebowski played and by David Huddleston who's an actor that, David Huddleston. oh really when 2016 bummer he's yeah. a very good actor yeah um so he he's also a really good neighbor. So he'd let me some sugar sometimes. No, I'm kidding. He wasn't my neighbor. Yeah, no, he wasn't. No, we all know he wasn't <laughs> your neighbor. Um, so they have their kind of conversation about the fact that somebody pissed on his carpet thinking that he was the other Lebowski. And he's like, what do you want? A handout? Yeah. What do you want? Hand, like, what do you want from me? Yeah, yeah. He's like, it's not my fault or anything. And he kind of throws him out. Yeah. And this is also, again, they have a conversation about American politics where he's on the way out and he says something along the lines of like, you know, you're just like a bum. Um, I'm like a hard worker, right? And he's like, the bums always lose. Um, that's just kind of the way American right, 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 Pretty right. much is exactly what he says. And then he he walks out and he says to Brandt, he says, "Oh yeah, he's like, we reached an agreement. He just told me to take any carpet in the house, right? So he grabs a carpet. He's on his way out, and this is where he runs into Bunny, t- uh, played, played by, by Tara, Tara Reed, Reed. Uh, who's wearing pink toe toe polish, yeah, toenail or, polish. Uh, is it pink or green? Sorry, green. Yeah, and she's right by the pool. And they have this, like, this really funny exchange. She actually, offers to suck his dick for a thousand dollars. He says, "I'm going to go to the <laughs> yeah, bank." Yeah. Um, and Brant is there. It's very uncomfortable. And very uncomfortable. So this he, is. Yeah, go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. No, please. No, no. Just the way he laughs, the way like Philip Seymour Hoffman uncomfortably <laughs>, laughs. So this is the first time, and I think this is really, at least to me, key to understanding his character that he calls the dude, dude. Oh, He's like, so, okay, dude. Okay, dude. And like his line reading is key to understanding who that character is yeah. because he's a Reaganite, but he also has clearly lived in the world of bro. Like he mm. knows he says dude so differently oh, than saying. he says. Yeah. He'll be like, yes, of course, dude. Like it's a completely different character for those little bits of moments. Like he's so comfortable yeah, being like, yeah. yeah, dude. It's like a little bit of like a, like a wealthy moneyed kind of like, I hate to use the comparison because it's like a little belittling, but like he's a bit of a Brett Kavanaugh. Oh, he is. No, no, totally. He's a bit of a Brett Kavanaugh. And like Philip Zimmerhoffman is smart enough to know that that's who that guy is. This is the kind of guy who like 
parlays again this an this, internship this yeah or this gig that right. he has now with the uh, Lebowski to being like the member the I head of know, a like a non-profit the Rand foundation Corporation. exactly or the, or, Rand Corporation. or the Rand Corporation but like he yeah he's the guy that like knocks his way into a $180,000 like job if at 27 more. yeah you know what I mean like, doing really awful things around the globe right exactly. long term yeah exactly that's in kind the name of, of American Empire <laughs> yeah exactly and it's a smart enough performance that like you can see his amb- like people don't take jobs like this without being ambitious. I mean, he's also veers on the side of caricature yeah. earlier in the film than anybody else does, and I think that that's oh, significant because in the second hour things really become a little more ridiculous in this movie. Totally, but he's very like, <laughs> like very like too much. Like very the way he handles Tara reads like overt yeah. sexuality and kind of like like California. Like what's the word? She's kind of like a ditz. She's a ditz, like a valley girl. Like a valley girl, and he's very uncomfortable with her like aggressive sexuality. And, and also, by the way, let me just briefly say this is another great thing about this film because we mentioned film noir about how it combines genres mm. in this in a way that I think if you described it as like it's kind of like a film noir meets a cowboy movie meets like a stoner film. Like if you describe that movie, you would think it's going to be the biggest piece of shit ever. And right. the way they successfully pull it off is another thing that I fucking love about well, the this acting. Film. I mean, it's so such a strong acting movie, and it's such a strong. Yeah, I mean, these guys really—they know the Coen Brothers are good at movies. They're good at movies, yeah. Um, so we get out of the scene, and then we're back at the bowling alley. Of course. And this is the first time we really see John Good how John unhinged Walter yeah. is because he pulls a gun on Smokey. And Smokey, yeah. Who's another bowler, and because Smokey uh, oversteps past the line a little bit and wants his eight points. If he does, right? Obviously, we don't we don't see him. We don't see what happens exactly. Because um, they're playing like a tournament game. Right, exactly. And then they're leaving the bowling alley after he's pulled a gun. And there's the first conversation about pacifism in the film, yeah. which I think is a really big part of the movie because Jeff Bridges' character is a pacifist yeah. who's forced into situations where his like sort of pacifism is challenged throughout the movie. Like he, that's really interesting. He can't yeah. really, you can't, you can't stay neutral on a moving train. Because yeah. he, no, he, he says like Smokey was like a um, conscientious objector. objector right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's really talking about like that six, the sixties new left. Yeah. More than that yeah. though. I and mean, the degree to which let's say he stands outside of uh, conventional society. Like he's too good to get a job, which is amazing. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. Where they, they ask him, like, so what do you do? He's like, I'm unemployed. Um, I'm between jobs I'm right now. <laughs> <laughs> but just like the idea of, and again, those are the aspects of the character that that I find like exceptional and heroic even. But I wonder, like watching it again, I wonder to what degree we are also meant to judge him and to think there is something about him that is, even though again, he's clearly the hero of the film. Right. But that there's still something like abs- incredibly pathetic about him. Yeah, and it and it it, it it sort of depends upon the, the lens at like the way that you look at this sort of pathetic quality because like, is he a manifestation of the desire to like not live a life or, like to like use a cliche phrase of like doing the rat race thing where yeah. you're like working towards a goal in a, in a company, you know what I mean? Is he just kind of a lazy dude? Like what are the, what are the, what are the goals of a, of a, of a movement that's trying to like, you know, evolate, elevate the way that people live. And yeah. like, you know, I think that a thing that's, that this film is about is it, it has an element of, of being about how the individual relates to the body politic to some extent. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then I think yeah. that like he's chosen to, to go like, okay, I have to be an individualist and live my own sort of way. And as a result, he's kind of a fucking loser. 
Y- yes. Yeah. And I, th- but right. And the, I guess the I'm question- just spitballing here. I guess the question you guys, is, this is laugh every, laugh every <laughs> couple minutes, right? This is our funniest episode. I guess the question is to what degree again, he has, he himself decided to like step outside of history in this kind of sense, or to what degree is history just kind of like bypassed him? I think is the interesting kind of question. I think it's probably more the latter. And, mm-hmm. and I'm really some bad e- with that. Can you just tell me which one latter former? I think he's <laughs> history has passed him by. <laughs> okay. You're Thanks. An English teacher. Yeah. Me Not good. really. I mean, you are an English teacher. Me no English good. <laughs> I taught George, George everything like he know. Language. <laughs> Why do I sound like um? Was the Phil Hartman s- sketch? Uh, uh, news radio. No, no, no. Uh, uh, Trevor McClure. We played the, the goddamn caveman. Uh, so, so something, something caveman lawyer. Uh, on double Saturday murder. Live. <laughs> Jeez. Oof. Too soon. Too soon. Um, so he gets back to his apartment. He's listening to. He's making a white Russian, which he calls a Caucasian, which fucks <laughs> Stella did, did Artois. We say that and um, he gets a hi, Mr. Lebowski, yeah. brand calling. Brand hi, dude. It's all about and the carpets. He's, he's called a couple times, um, and he he needs. By the way, there's also a voicemail from Smokey saying that they've complained yeah. to the. And then there's a call from. To yeah, the he's complained tournament. to the union league, yeah. uh, the bowling league, and then the, the head of the bowling yeah. league calls him. It's so funny how seriously these motherfuckers take their bowling. So just quickly, what do you make about the bowling? I just took it to be this very American kind of pastime. It is a very American pastime, but there's also a mechanicism. And like, quite frankly, there's something so fucking banal about bowling. Yeah. And so tied to like, you need to have a bowling rink. You need like a big space with a parking lot and bad food. Oh, I see what you're and saying. And people have yeah. to drive there. And like it requires it a rink open space bowling rink. Bowling rink. Bowling alley. Bowling alley. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Look how in touch I am with my common man. You know what's funny too? Because I was listening to one of our earlier episodes and we were trying to dis- describe the action of tossing a bowling ball. Yeah, that's and the... like, what, what do you do? You, you roll do it. You toss it. You, you strike sh- it. Uh... You lance it. You lance it. You definitely <laughs> lance it. Um, no, you you know you have to have this kind of like wide open the space. The sprawl. And the yeah. sprawl is America. And the sprawl doesn't like... Again, we are so funny on this episode, but it, it does it speaks to like a different kind of America than the America that like people that live in urban settings live Correct. in. You yeah. know, it's a very uh, bowling. I don't the only bowling alleys I know in, in here are the Melody Lanes and uh, over there that over way there, over there. Yeah. And then there's kind of pointing that and way. And there's the course. one in Penn Station. But like Penn Station is the uh, only place in the city with like wide open space. Yeah. And of course there's others. There's got to be one in Queens. Queens has a little more. Oh, yeah. there's one in Bayside that I went to all the time. White Stone Lanes represent. So then um, he goes back to see the Big Lebowski. Big Lebowski. And this is when he uh, is told that Bunny has been kidnapped. And there's this great reaction <laughs> shot. Well, well, the Big Lebowski <laughs> of of of, um, of Brant as he's like, Bunny. So the Big Lebowski is like, Bunny is the light of my life. I love her. And it cuts to Brant and he's looking oh, down. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> and then he's like, we received the facts and he like jumps right into action yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what i mean and it's just a great it's it's again to speak to your point of like the young reaganite like that's sort of the fakeness of feeling or the kind of like he's sort of playing at being emotional yeah it's interesting no, um, no totally yeah. kind of an interesting moment in the film so lebowski's gonna act as the courier he's gonna drop off the ransom and then he goes back home and again he's jumped again yes he uh, is jumped by two other goons uh, who you haven't seen before, and he's knocked out, and his rug again is taken. And this yes. is also when he has it's a great shot. Yeah. So, so we see two goons. We also see, see Julianne, Julianne Moore. Moore. Also interesting to watch Julianne Moore in like 1998. 
such different performances. Like I think she, I mean, actually, she's amazing in this film. She's amazing. She's so Hello, I'm Julianne Moore in this film. <laughs> Father, that's a terrible. It's like doing a disservice. But I don't think she gets. Sadly, I don't think she gets offered those roles anymore because she's, you know, oh, it's just, it's just, you know, she's not doing the same level of. Well, there's a certain kind of quirkiness, obviously. I don't this, think she can take you know. that kind of risks. That's a risky part to take. Also, not a great, not a great. L- part for lady in a lot of coen brothers movie and this is not i don't think this is like the best like, i think this is a pretty like it's do you a, think it's like a sexist i don't know if it's no i don't know if it's sexist but yeah. i also don't know if it's the most like interesting part to play Why i don't though? know but she's playing she's playing this like uh, this is another great part of the film though where it, then it turns into this kind of satire on the art world that's true it is a nice little yeah satire like she's not the only one obviously being made fun of if no, she were the true. only it's one a, being it is made a bit fun of a satire yeah yeah that's true but <laughs> And she also is fucking amazing because she's like, all right, you just fucked me. I just took your sperm. I don't need you. I'm just going to have a child. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's true. And also just the way she's like, oh, I don't want a partner. I just want a child. No, that's true. I guess you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to cut all that out. So her, uh, and, he, he and this is also the first fantasy sequence, too. It is a fantasy sequence. Where he pictures her um, on a, like a magic carpet and he's like flying through the air. Yes. Right? This is it. Yeah. Um, and it's just great because again, it's another absurd, like surreal touch. There's a lot, uh, a couple of really weird surreal touches in this movie. Just a couple, yeah. And um, yeah. And then we get to the next scene, which is which is one of two very brief appearances by John Turturro playing oh, Jesus. Playing Jesus, you're right. Um, you know, funny to think that I don't know if John Turturro would be allowed to play this part 20 years on. Like Correct. Like kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, very stereotypical yeah. He's Latino, Latino he's character. Latino, yeah. um, I, I don't know if you noticed the name of his co-bowler, Liam. Oh, I did not notice Liam. Yeah, his yeah. like chubby Who says white guy nothing. friend is named yeah. Liam. He's like, me and Liam, we're going to kick your fucking <laughs> ass. Right. And I was like, oh, thank you. Um there's a to my one of the funniest exchanges in the entire film is in the scene. So Jesus is going to play a bowl against these yeah. guys in the league, and um, he comes over and he just like plays like the macho guy. Yeah. But then it, he walks away and Goodman says he's a pederast, <laughs> and I'm like he's talking about it. And then Steve Buscemi kind of like comes away yeah, from and he goes, like, "What's a pederast?" Yeah. <laughs> and John Goodman goes, "Shut the fuck up, Donnie." <laughs> I thought you were gonna say the line where John Turturro says to him, "He's like, hey." You try to pull that gun shit on me. He's like, I'm going to take that fucking gun. I'm going to put it up your ass and I'm going to keep like uh, pulling, the, pulling trigger. the trigger until it goes click or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's um, so good. So, so after Totoro. So after Totoro. So you hear his pager going off yeah. and you hear it going off and then he's asleep on the floor and he comes so. to um, and there's two goons and a Julianne Moore standing over him and they punch him in the face. Yes. And then he has the fantasy of right. her on the, with the carpet. Right. Is that what it is? Yes. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we hear the pager going off. He's laying on the floor, and we cut to him walking down a hallway. You right. see how I emphasize the cut with the no, yeah, of course walking down the hallway with Brant, who's so giving him instructions. Um, this is when he's got this. He goes, her life is in your hands, dude. dude. <laughs> yeah. And this is one of those moments where I was like, who is this guy? And he really is just like a sycophantic. He's a tool. Tool that wants to like get ahead by yeah. working for this like wealthy, wealthy industrialist type. Yeah, and I forgot how is it exactly. So then he leaves, but how is it exactly that Walter gets involved? Basically, he, he just like shows up at his. He just like house. shows he up, right? In the car, yeah. exactly. And, and he's, he's like, like, "We're going together." I've got the ringer. Yeah. And you're like, "What's the ringer?" Like, what the fuck? And he has. So, he's so. I honestly think part of my problem with this movie is I hate John Goodman <laughs> in it so much. Well, because he fucks everything up. He fucks everything. So basically, yeah, they're gonna do the drop off. Right. They, they get a call. 
uh, while they're driving, and this is one also it's Peter Stormare. Peter Stormare. He's like leaves them on the, yeah. and he's like, "Oh yeah, like, we're are you coming." With he's like, "We're coming." <laughs> um, he's like, "Fuck!" So basically, they're, yeah, they're totally because he's supposed to go by himself, um, right? And he has a yeah, he has a an Uzi that's wrapped up. Um, and he goes to so basically he they see the bridge they're mm-hmm. supposed to throw the money over the bridge yes. and John Goodman Goodman's plans to take one the of the ringer. kidnappers hostage oh yeah, yeah so yeah, he yeah. dives out of the car but as he dives out of the car he drops the Uzi and it goes off it goes and off. It, it hits a, it hits it's the first <laughs> one of the moments in the film where Lebowski's car gets like damaged though the, yeah. the car gets beaten to shit throughout the film it's already beaten to shit but yeah. he um. Yeah, he gets like he, they basically the car gets not totaled, but it gets damaged enough so it's undrivable. Yeah, and they uh, get away with the ringer. The ringer, the suitcase, the wrong suitcase gets yep. thrown, and then those guys run away with it, and the whole thing is fucked. The whole thing is fucked. Yeah. The whole thing is fucked. And then we cut back to them bowling. Well, he goes, yeah. At the end of this, he's like, oh yeah, we totally fucked. And he's like, oh, let's go bowling. Right, exactly. <laughs> so they go bowling, bowling again. And this is an interesting moment. And now, by the way, sorry, now just to set up the scene, right? The money is technically still in the car. Yes, the money is still the, in the car. The, the, the real suitcase is in right. the car, which um, has been has which is parked outside the bowling alley. Yeah. Because these fucking idiots leave a million dollars in the back of a car. I know. So yeah. they go bowling, and the first line in this scene is, is, uh, is a Hebrew expression oh which it's uh, it's high, high which i'm saying i'm completely bastardizing it yeah, i don't yeah. know but it means it is a tree of life oh uh, wait what's, what's the context of it he, they're bowling and, and just john goodman. Yeah, john goodman just, just says, says it, it. Oh. yeah because john goodman's character is polish catholic but has converted to judaism which we don't find out that he's ex-wife. converted to later yeah um but. it is a tree of life if i remember context wise it's kind of just like one catastrophe before like you know what i mean it's kind huh. of about and then he's talking about how he can't play on shabbos which is hilarious yeah, yeah. it's very it's hilarious that he can't play on and, shabbos and donnie's like what's that walter shut the fuck <laughs> up donnie. <laughs> and then they go outside and the car's gone and the car's yeah it's been yep. stolen so he calls the cops yeah. and the cops show up as an apartment oh, and yeah. this is a really interesting scene Je- jeff bridges is really funny in it yeah. just because he's so glib but it's interesting how there's this white cop Who's kind of like being attentive, and then this black guy is just throwing daggers at this guy. Uh, yeah, he's looking scene. at him like, "What the and fuck it's just is this?" So yeah, yeah. interesting. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I never. I didn't read it like that. As if kind of like, "What's this?" Like this white guy is complaining about his. Yeah, yeah, car, that was kind of the way like, that I read it. Uh, Not like, uh, but like, just kind of yeah. like, "What the fuck is this guy?" Yeah, and but you're right. There is definitely like a good cop, bad cop. There's vibe. a good cop, bad yeah, cop, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I don't know if it has to do with race or anything like yeah. that. But you can't help but like kind of look at it this like this like white guy that doesn't have a job who's kind of just like yeah man my car got stolen man <laughs> like, like, i have a briefcase in there it's like why do you have a briefcase you don't have a fucking like, job clear water right it's just like uh, it's tapes just in really, there really really ridiculous and then this is the moment when when the phone rings yeah and it is Maud Maud lebowski what does Maud lebowski offer to pay him for uh that's a very good question basically to obviously find her right find bunny find bunny um and to retrieve the money right doesn't she doesn't she pay him to like prove that bunny kidnapped herself kidnapped herself huh yeah well to find her right yeah exactly yeah, yeah. yeah so but i forgot to I, I forgot is there does she think that there's still also missing money that's the part because now also everybody thinks there's missing money so this is a good moment to pause and say that there's an intentional the try to follow the plot of this movie is it's you're not really supposed to it's incredibly convoluted and intentional which is our way of saying that we don't really remember what happens <laughs> but it's not a you you get swept up i mean the details of it aren't, aren't all that yeah. significant but anyway now she's he's also been tasked again with finding bunny but for like different reasons exactly yeah, or um, we partially because reasons. julian moore does not trust her stepmother right 
uh, in the next scene, uh, the dude gets thrown out of a cab for saying he fucking hates the, oh, the Eagles. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. It's that's really funny. Great Why do you think he hates the Eagles so much? I don't know. I think it's just one of those... I just think it's one... I mean, I'm sure it's it, it's possibly symbolic in some sort of way. I wonder um, if it has to do with like the Eagles being like a watered-down Fleetwood Mac. Like the Fleet, Fleetwood uh, Mac is like... They're fucking Fleetwood Mac. When and then were you the have Eagles like, the Eagles? Say that again. When were the Eagles the Eagles? Are we talking, That's about, the, a good are we talking about the 70s I just now? see it's such a visceral reaction to the Eagles that I'm sort of curious. As, I don't think there's anything in a Coen Brothers movie that isn't intentional. Right. And so like it gives me pause to be like, yeah, he just doesn't like, like it's a gag. Like, no, I, I know. I think now we can like just kind of like completely and utterly and uh, incorrectly just talk about the Eagles. and what Fuck, <laughs> Mary <laughs> kill. Fleetwood Mac, the Eagles, Jefferson Starship. Oh my god, it's fucking easy. You you Jefferson. fuck Fleetwood Mac. Uh-huh. Cuz fuck it's fucking Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. The, the, the sexuality, the power that's mm-hmm, fucking mm-hmm, emanating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Peter Buck, of them. not Peter Buck. Peter Buck is an REM. Wow. <laughs> this is a good thing that we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Uh but quickly, so fuck Fleetwood Mac, uh kill the Eagles, marry Starship. That's good. I agree yeah, with that. Yeah, yes, you. that's very good. So, uh so then he gets a call from Brant. Right. Who's this? Who says, we've been trying to reach you, dude. And um, he seems scared and he's nervous. The The limo comes to pick him up. Right. And, and they show him a severed toe. toe. And that and toe, we believe, belongs to Bunny. Bunny. Because it has green toenail polish. But it actually belongs to a fairly famous pop singer. By the name of... Amy Mann. Amy Mann. Okay, it is Amy Mann. Yeah, it is Amy Mann. Which I thought was so great. I was like, oh, Amy Mann. I love this. It's so funny. Wow, that's right. She's in the Gang of German Nihilists. Because you only see her once or twice? Yeah, we just see her once much later in the the diner. So after finding the toe, yeah, he ends up at a diner. And and there's a nice moment to pause and think about how this is another movie. Another, interestingly, like, obviously not a John Cassavetes movie, but another movie that kind of deals with L.A., but not L.A. as, like, Hollywood Mecca, but L.A. as, like, urban sprawl. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and kind of it's just not like, it's not a sexy version of LA. No, it's not sexy no, yet. It's at all. I at mean, all. you know, Jeff Bridges is sexy, but yeah, no, there's um, I mean, there's good-looking people in it, but it's not a sexy. It's not like a sexy, a, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so they're in the diner, and 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 John Goodman is kind of losing his mind, and they ask him to. They say like, if you don't keep your voice down, I'm I'm gonna leave. Yeah. I'm gonna ask you to leave, and he kind of flips out and like. Is like oh, I, I, yeah. What does he say? Like he's like like I like I fought in, in Nam for my right to like to, be very to, loud to be or something. Very, yeah, or like exactly. your right for like, and the yeah, dude leaves and yeah. and uh, Goodman's like or Walter's like I'm gonna stay and he like drinks his I'm gonna, coffee. I'm gonna and drink my around. coffee. And this might be a little bit of a moment where you have sympathy for him because it's like this guy just can't get it fucking together. Right? I mean, he's just a, a wreck. Yeah, he's I mean, it's obviously it's played for laughs and it is hilarious, but clearly he's damaged, a deeply damaged. Yeah, human really being. damaged. So and then all of a sudden we're back at. Lebowski's apartment he's in the bath and, and who should come call. in or he gets a call right he's like oh yeah we found your car right exactly like, far out man <laughs> far out man he's smoking a joint, he's smoking a joint. <laughs> and then the nihilists walk the, in. the German the, always the German nihilists Peter uh, Stormare flee Peter Stormare flee and, and some other German guy so I hate like flea, I hated that flea is in this movie I Why? hate it. it's so distracting it's, he's, he's in it for like 30 it. seconds he's so bad in it how are you gonna feel when we do like uh, Flea uh, Uber Busters uh, Flea like, I'm not doing it because <laughs> I don't think Flea should be in stuff he's annoying so he's just distracting I also think Red Hot Chili Peppers kind of sucks yeah I agree sure I mean I, I would I, I'll, by I'll sti- the way I tried I mean but, but that's like the, sh- the, like the shittiest song you could like I know it's, it's really bad well it's okay fine um, I, still th- I still think there's some great songs uh, 
Sometimes I feel yeah, that's a good like song. I don't have a Although partner. the whole like Anthony Kiedis is a poet thing is like, so annoying. I mean, I don't think anybody really so believes that, but I have a funny story to tell Please. you. I'm, I'm, she's going to remain nameless, but, but my sister-in-law, Rebecca Weiss, <laughs> um, when we were cleaning be, out her, we were cleaning out. out her dad's house, uh-huh. we found a copy of Scar Tissue, oh the Anthony God. Kiedis Amazing. autobiography, and Amazing. she was like, "Yeah, I read it twice. I love Anthony Kiedis." And Emily and I were just like, <laughs> Okay. Do you know? You know what's really sad about that? Scar tissue. Yeah, but do you know what's really sad about that? Uh, that was like the last thing. Uh, Norman Miller ghost wrote that, and then he died, like a couple of You're weeks. Fucking yeah, I'm fucking with you. Yeah, I'm fucking with you. But how amazing would it be, like Norman Miller sitting down, Norman Miller sitting down with like Anthony Kiedis. Now Anthony. Now Anthony. Anthony. Tell me about. Um, tell me about. The peppers. Okay, I think I need <laughs> more wine. Do you want any more Why the wine? Why does it sound like Larry King? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. I'm gonna get more wine. Do you want more wine? I'm okay. Come on, have some more wine. Right, sure, sure. Just a little bit. Peer pressure. I need. I need a. So. So the next scene, he goes to the impound lot, finds the car's dead. Finds <laughs> the car's dead. Uh, the briefcase missing, gone. Gone. And this is the low point. And he goes back to the alley. By the way, also there's a really funny scene though where he, where the, he asks the cop about like finding the briefcase. He's like, oh yeah. He's like, we got like four or five boys in the office, like Look, looking on for this you. case. That's yeah, a really he, like, good line. Laughs in his face. So he leaves the impound lot. Um, he goes back to the bowling alley. It's a low point, yeah. and he makes he makes a joke to the uh, he makes a comment like "fuck the tournament" and like John Goodman Walter like loses very it. very upset because yeah. it's all they have in their lives. And he goes over to the bar to get a white Russian. Oh, yeah. and we're halfway through the movie. And this is the first time we see Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott right. as the cowboy narrator who's been telling the story the whole time. Yeah. And it's just interesting that it's the absolute halfway point of the movie. Yeah. And they talk for all and he's like, How you doing, dude? Well, because he asked for sarsaparilla. What's that? Sarsaparilla is like a soda soda kind of drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's disgusting. My dad liked it. Yeah. But this is also where they have like their yeah, well, obviously their first exchange. Um and again, it's this kind of like um where if you think hey about dude. if you think about them as like American archetypes, where they're the like stoner coast lefty, yeah, meets this cowboy, or even just kind of the stoner like West Coast, West Coast guy, <laughs> yeah, yeah, West Coast uh, dude, uh, yeah, it meets this uh, cowboy archetype, this cowboy archetype, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now. It's a good scene, and it's just kind of like a fun. I don't know if it has as much substance as the later scene where they meet up, but yeah, and the, that one's like far more. I think philosophical yeah, yeah but totally. it's, it's just again this interesting thing about like well what does his let's say narrating of the story mean right exactly uh-huh. and um, then he gets another call from Maud. he goes Correct. to see her mm-hmm. and she's sort of they talk for a little bit she asks him why he hasn't been to the doctor yet which is that's really interesting right, yeah. and sitting and on the couch is David Thewlis yeah, the actor really, playing yeah. like an artist who's kind of it's a lunatic amazing. yeah it's a good scene <laughs> and he's like nervously laughing or he's yeah, just laughing he's about laughing like in a magazine article yeah, yeah, yeah. or something like that and so we sort of get a little more between Maude Lebowski yeah. and Jeff Lebowski. Again, yeah. not related Lebowskis. Unless they are. That dun, dun, would be dun. an interesting little cosmic joke. Oh, then it would really be like joke, Chinatown. Cosmic joke that yeah. this movie could play. That would be really Ooh. interesting. Um, in the next scene, he's at the doctor. Right. And the doctor says, take your pants down. <laughs> and he's like, he punched me in my face. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. Yeah, because she tells him he needs to go to the doctor because he's been punched in the face. Yeah. And she rec- she's recommended a doctor. And he pulls his pants down. And then all of a sudden it cuts to him driving. And again, he's being followed by a Volvo. Volvo. Um, and we don't know who the Volvo guy is, mm-hmm. but he turns the... turns. Uh, he's smoking a J, too. He's smoking a J. 
And he drops it. He drops the jacket. This is cool. Well, then he takes his beer he, and he starts, to, like, starts to pour his whatever. Yeah. The physical it, comedy in this film is amazing. It causes him to crash the car. Yeah. But at which point he finds... The homework. He finds dun, dun, dun. homework with the name Larry Sellers on yeah. it. And so... And he makes a connection that this is obviously most likely who took the car for the joyride. Before to the joyride. Yeah. And also probably stole the money. Um also uh, immediately after this he goes to his landlord's dance show oh yeah has what a, a fucking hilarious which is hilarious yeah. which is kind of it made me think of la la land <laughs> because she does her little play like she does the thing that no one would ever do which is like writes a one-woman show in la and manages to get like people to go to it yeah. but like there's like four people in the audience this thing and it's like awful and it's embarrassing it's, but yeah. it does kind of speak to the end of like a counterculture kind of movie huh. like in la it's just kind of like look at this weirdo oh, landlord so, yeah. doing a show that like eight people are at and like it's so pathetic and so sad it is, yeah. and i think that it just kind of i don't know it's like people people do wacky things to express themselves they do yeah. i hope you're enjoying this podcast dun, dun, dun. um and this is also where like uh again walter kind of and he comes also to the one man show and they have like this really funny exchange shut the fuck up donnie about kind of um what they're gonna do right like oh yes, we're gonna go exactly. over there and we're gonna like yeah we're gonna deal with we're gonna see this fucking larry sellers kid walter finds out who he is his name is digby and he wrote several episodes of a of a tv show right right well the, his dad yeah, yeah the dad, larry's dad, dad, dad. Yeah. so he assumes that some something's going on there so they drive over to the house and this is one of the greatest it's scenes brutal it's like almost unwatchable it's is so it? upsetting yeah because i just well I the mean, guy in the iron lung you mean that part or what no, happens the afterwards part with this like the just car how awful john goodman is so they go so <laughs> It's just upsetting. So they go to the house. Right. And they ask to see the kid. The dad is in an iron lung. And right. apparently, like Liam said, he, he is this uh, writer for what's, what you assume. Again, a TV show. A TV show that was clearly a Western of right. some kind. Yes. Um, they go in. Um, they try to like, or um, Larry, uh, Larry Goodman. John Goodman. John Goodman. Tries to talk to him. Right. Um, obviously the guy's not responsive and then the kid comes down who looks like the snottiest fucking yeah, like he just sits, sits, sits there and they sort of like egg him on and they started yeah they started interrogating but they can't him. get anything from him he's like he's <laughs> what's, like a zen master what's amazing is he doesn't break at all he doesn't, he doesn't break at all anything. can you imagine what shooting that scene must I have been know. like for that kid because John Goodman is terrifying <laughs> so good. John Goodman's kind of like you know what happens when you fuck someone and he goes outside with a crowbar and beats the shit out of a Corvette that he assumes the kid bought with the, the kid money. bought with the money which is like how stupid are these guys <laughs> So he smashes the car And yeah. there's all these great cuts The Coen brothers edited this movie As they do all their mm-hmm. movies Under the pseudonym Roderick James Ooh I did not know you that You did not know that? Yeah, yeah they, they, sh- they edited all their own films did you I know mean, that? I didn't also know about the Roderick James thing. Oh, yeah, no, they edited they added all their own movies. They actually have like a really it's inter- if you're interested, it's interesting to read about how they work because Can I can I change my name to Roderick James and sue them and claim that actually You, I was change, the you one. should change your name to Peter Andrews. Oh. Which is the pseudonym that Steven Soderbergh uses when he shoots his movies. Wow. I don't have friends. <laughs> I'm learning a lot both about you and about the film industry. I do. Yeah. So and then also obviously uh yeah, somebody runs out of their house being like that's my car and then grabs a crowbar, crowbar and, smash. and smashes the dude's car so i wrote down um something that i thought was interesting is that in the next scene they're driving home and like they're it's like the windows just smashed open <laughs> yeah. and it's such a pathetic moment 
And I wrote down like I was thinking a little bit about and how this is when they go to the In and Out Burger. They too. go to the In and Out Burger, and the they're just like, and like, well, Donnie's so happy to have a of a, a burger from In and Out Burger because the joke is that the kid's house is near the near In and Out Burger. Burger yeah. Uh, so clearly, yeah, and it's you don't see them go to In and Out Burger. All you just see is them eating the food. Right, on right, the right, way right. Back. So I wrote down. I was thinking a little bit about this. Like, so the one of the things about the original Big Sleep is that the whole story is really baffling. Like, what the fuck is Convoluted. This yeah. Convoluted. But I think that, like, what the Coen brothers have done with all their movies, like, if you could sum up the Coen brothers, I feel like in a single sentence, it'd be like, people are fucking baffling. Like, they just do, yeah. you know what I mean? And, like, what I love about this movie is that it, it takes it beyond the plot and extends it into the characters. Like, John Goodman just, or Walter operates with no consequences because he feels justified in his yeah, anger about sure. the world and like no one is no one's decisions or why they do things is really truly comprehensible from a personal perspective which is maybe what gives the movie like any political kind of resonance well i don't know because i also feel i mean not to take away anything from this film but like and even though i think like jeff bridges does a great job like turning this character to a human being like making him three-dimensional yeah they're really cartoons yeah that's true they're, but they're all, yeah. In that sense, they're kind of like very. But that's flat. just like your opinion, man. I mean, it is just my opinion. Yeah, that was a but dude reference. Why, um, yeah, that's also why I've been hired by the New York Times to <gasps> um, do a new podcast terrible, called "Terrible Opinions on the Report." <laughs> Congratulations, David Brooks. Thank you, thank you. It's it's great. Uh, uh, I'm not old enough to do it yet, but in about 30 years' time, I'll be marrying my super young assistant. I look nice. forward to that. Nice, that'll be really good. I mean, it's gonna be really. Difficult divorce with my wife, but I mean, you know, she'll, I'm sure she'll, she'll understand. understand. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to David Brooks fucking the trajectory. trajectory. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then what happens, Liam? So all of a sudden, we're watching a woman wearing... Uh, no, I'm sorry. So all of a sudden, mm -hmm. the two goons from the beginning of the movie show Come up again, back. and they're like, Jackie Treehorn wants to see you. And we cut to a... I got so excited. I got so excited. We, we, I'm not, I didn't get excited about what I'm about to woman? say. We see a woman <laughs> on a trampoline not wearing a shirt. That yeah. didn't get me excited. What got me excited is something that I forgot until you texted I me. I know. Which is that Jackie... And I'm like shaking. Jackie <laughs> Treehorn is played by Ben... Damn. Good. Fucking Gazara. Ben Gazara is in the Big Lebowski. And it was, it's like and seeing I an old friend. Totally. Me too. Forgotten. But also the way he hello, appears. Hello, my friend. Hello. Do, do, do. I, don't know. I don't know what that yeah. was. No, hello. That's I was singing Neil Diamond. <laughs> did I, did I, no joke. I'm, I'm being Saving Silverman's your favorite. No. Neil Diamond. Shut the fuck up, please. <laughs> the Neil Diamond saying. A song in my commencement. No, he didn't. At NYU, yeah, it was really? a terrible song. We're coming to America. He was basically rhyming in debt. No, it was like it was like it was like a song that he wrote. Nothing no, 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 sorry, sorry. We're coming I'm, to America no, no, in debt. It's song? great. Can we can we uh, uh, pipe in laughter? Ha 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 ha. Get out. But he's, he composed this really shitty song um, in which like everything rhymed with like you. Because it was NYU. You are an NYU graduate. No, it was like NYU. You're really you. What about you're really you in America? What are you gonna do like that? I swear to God, it was it was, it was terrible. It do you remember terrible. when he did his album? Remember when Johnny Cash did all those like stripped down albums with a groove before he died? Like uh, where he did like would like uh, I hurt myself yeah, the, today. The Nine Inch Nails song. Um, Neil Diamond did the same thing. Did he? And it's a good record with like really. Yeah, like stripped down, very. But there's a song uh -huh. in it called "Hell Yeah He Did," and it's like "Hell Yeah He Did." <laughs> it's like really. And who does the original? I don't. I know. I think it's a no. It's like original songs, but done in this like really stripped oh, down because style. The, the cash but there's a song like called the like "Hell Yeah," covers. and it's like, "Did he do everything he could have done?" 
Hell yeah, he did. Well, the, what's one of the, uh, the one of the great Johnny Cash songs of that is the uh, is the, his version of U2's One. Yeah, really? a song I love. I do love that song. It's How a, can you not love it's, that song? It's a beautiful song. It's yeah. an amazing song. It's also a song that uh, Charles Manson stole from the Beatles. But we're stealing it back. <laughs> we're stealing it back. Previously on jokes. So then, yeah. So ben, are you guys still listening? Ben fucking Gazar. Ben appears. fucking Gazar. Jackie Treehorn, the pornographer. Pornographer. But I love this scene. I love no, it because great. maybe it's all the history. First of all, Ben Gazara looks old, dude. He does. Ben yeah. looks. Did I tell you that one of my film school professors uh, got one of Ben Gazara's last performances ever in the film called Looking for Paladin, which I, no one should. I think maybe you mentioned this in passing. What are you, you, Liam, you're covering your mic. Why don't you just say it directly into the mic? Um, I feel bad to say this, but I don't think it's a very good film. But I would watch it now again because Ben, ben Gazara's, Gazara's in it. In it. Um, He's a pornographer yeah. who, who's uh, Jackie Treehorn is a pornographer whose career um, has kind of collapsed because of the, the proliferation yeah. of, well, I don't know if he's a, he's a producer, the oh. proliferation of digital media. Yeah. And like, it's a really sad scene because maybe this is reading too much into it because it's not really just about. Turns the boogie nights all of a sudden. Yeah. It's also not just about um, porn. It's like, it's like a whole comment on the way that, that the whole well, the whole medium of, of, of film and all these things have evolved and to see kind of like, I'm sure that in his part, in his real life, Ben Gazar was, I mean, Ben Gazar was probably pretty chill, but yeah. like the whole industry is a different thing. And like, he's gone oh, from so playing like these like of... interesting parts to playing this like five minute scene and, uh, and he's so good. And like, just the way he says, hi dude, thanks for coming. Yeah. Like I got a little emotional cause I was so like, it's like well, but, royalty playing yeah. this part. It's a great little scene. It's a great scene. And it's, you know, there's a lot of plot in this movie and the film moves through it effortlessly, yeah. partially because the casting is so good and Ben Gazzara is so fucking good in yeah. this movie. He's wearing a white suit. Dude. Yeah. He's and he wants to know where, where the money is because yes. Bunny owes him money. Uh, and then he gets a phone call and one of the oh funniest God, visual gags in the whole thing yeah. he's taking notes on a notepad with pencil and he rips off the, the note and he's just like excuse me and he walks away and gets a, and like a legitimately smart gumshoe yeah, moment Bridges is like I'm gonna take a pencil and draw over it and he basically reveals like a New York <laughs> New York a Playboy cartoon from right. the 1970s the which is like a dude with a pink tag but it's great too because he's like he's doing it and he's like wait what and he keeps <laughs> it's so <laughs> funny so Gazzaro wants to know where the money is and he is feeding Jeff Bridges uh, white Por Russians yeah. Caucasians Caucasian. and uh, there's a nice he drops the Kahlua and there's like a really classic uh, cut to the Kahlua glass like a very like nice reinforcement of the fact that it turns out the drinks have been poisoned it's just yeah. like a classic film moment it's a film where the glass thing, hits yeah. the ground and, like, he, and he tells him that the kid has the money right he's like your money's being held yeah. is that that's not a good Jeff Bridges uh, uh, Larry, uh, by Larry Sanders I'm a, give me my 10% Larry finder's Sanders. fee Larry <laughs> and then they go looking for Gary Larry Sellers. and they're like where's the money he's like I, I don't know what you're talking about I don't know what you're talking about no. Uh, and then he wakes up in the uh, the police station. He wakes up in the police station, yeah. but he has a gutterball fantasy before that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This and this is the the, the big one where he uh, he's sort of gutterball fantasy. He's it's, well, it's, it's like what's but like he um how does he comes to and he's got like he's dancing. Yeah, it looks yeah. ridiculous. And then there's a a Greek figure that's julianne moore well i was gonna she, say wagnerian actually wagnerian yeah, it is wagnerian yeah she has like the well it's it's very operatic she's yeah but she's wearing like the sandals and the sort of like yeah i'm, I'm misremembering the horn yeah exactly yeah. it's, it's wagner well you've just seen some wagner i so have you're just, pretty it's, fancy it's in the mind 
Um, and they he sort of they're sort I of. I am a member of the upper crust of society. Oh God! Course. And they sort of dance for a while, and then he goes down the. the he gets bowled the down the bowling alley, and he flips over, and he's looking up the skirts of these women. Yeah. And he has like a Looney Tunes kind of smile on his face and yeah. then he wakes up at a police station he has a great scene with the malibu police oh of, my God. The chief of police who's like listen lebowski i don't like your kind yeah. <laughs> i don't like you get your fucking ass out of my town and then hits him in the face with his shoe is it his shoe he no does he throw the cup at he him throws, he throws his coffee but what cup. does he say at? he says something to like obviously piss him off oh man feel, oh, oh yeah Something that you're like, you got a jerk off face. Like yeah, you got a jerk off. I don't like your jerk off face, your jerk off attitude, and I don't like your jerk, you jerking off in my in yeah, my yeah. district in Malibu, California. I forget exactly what he says oh, back. That's so funny. And he throws the cup in his face. Oh shit! This is when he gets thrown up by the cab. This driver. is when he gets thrown up by the cab driver. Oh yeah. no! Because that's how he gets. That's how he, he, oh, he gets. We don't sorry. know what happens. In sorry, sorry, we'll just edit that. You're out. like it's fine. It's and fine. then he gets. I have to edit this thing, George. <laughs> I have to edit it. And this is um, We're at an hour 24 George <laughs> When uh, Yeah He gets in the cab And he gets thrown out I took a note And then Bundy goes uh, As he gets thrown out of the cab I took a note here I wrote America is an aggressive place Oh uh, fuck yeah it is mm-hmm. <laughs> The only thing that isn't American About this film Is that Like the only one that The only person that I think brandishes a gun is Walter. I'm going to go beyond saying that it's about like the decay of American politics as you, or like the American politics defining the country and just say that like, there's something about the American psyche that this movie reflects. That's that it's a fucked up aggressive. Well, that's what film noir does. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's true. That's what it really, and also to some degree, any good, I think, um, cowboy or western film does. right well it deals with the like inherent trauma baked into the landscape right, of the yeah. american psyche? continent and, yeah, and, psyche. and psyche yeah of course yeah but you it can't talk about a, america without talking about genocide it does it in like a like a very easy goes down easy kind of way well because it's 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 humorous it's absurd it's surreal it is good it's all it's all of those it things also has like a really all. engaging story and character yeah. and cast so we on the car ride back this is also where they pass bunny on the bunny road. passes by yeah. and she has a toe and she's singing viva las vegas and he gets back to his place and his apartment's been ransacked so yes. things are not going well for jeff yeah. lebowski and is this what this is when maude shows up so and this yeah maude is there and she's like make love to make me love to make me. love to me jeffrey, jeffrey. Make love to me, Jeffrey. And they do. And Did you see one? the director's cut with the hardcore? Oh man, uh, the, the triple X scene. Yeah. The triple, yeah. The there was a, there's a hardcore version of this film that features a scene from Triple X starring Vin Diesel. <laughs> Vin Diesel shows up and he's like, an "What ex- can I do?" There's an extreme sports <laughs> scene. Wait, uh, bef- is this uh, what year is Saving Private Ryan? 1997. 97. I think so. Okay, so he's already appeared in something. No, Vin Diesel that. was like an actor by the, this point. Yeah, he you know was, what's but funny? Was he the Vin thing Diesel, about Vin Diesel, Diesel is that like his career could have gone a different way. Like he was in yeah, Saving Private like Ryan. He's a serious actor, and he's a good actor. He's yeah. not a bad actor by any stretch. Well, I mean, you know, he's he's he can act. Yeah, he can act. He was also in the Legendary Boiler Room, also with that is Gio- a, that is a good movie. Gio- Isn't it? Is it a good Giovanni movie? Rubi- I've never seen it. I've seen it. I liked I it like when I was like fifteen. Um, so they make Did love. you say brotastic? Yeah. yeah. Really shifting in that seat a lot, man. Sorry, it's going to be all over the microphone. Just trying to get really comfortable. So they then make love. <laughs> L- what, love? Uh, and this is also where, again, he mentions uh, so another she aspect says, so tell, of his identity. Tell me about, tell yourself, me about yourself, Jeffrey. Jeffrey. And he makes reference to, he was one of the original writers of the uh, Port, Port Huron statement, statement, which I didn't know what that was. I don't, mm. Did you know what it was? You know, it's so funny because I, uh, I'm not going <laughs> to... so funny. I did. I'm <laughs> like, no, no, no. I'm not going to mention the podcast, but I listened to a podcast about a week or two ago that did mention it. So it was like really eerie that it came up in the 
film. Yeah. So what did you find out about the part here on stage? Well, I just, I mean, I very, very broadly, I think it's worth talking about it in two ways that he was one of the original writers of the port here on statement. Not the second watered down version. And not the second, which is significant. And also he mentions that he was a member of the Seattle seven. So if I'm simplistic about this and like the broadest of strokes, it seems like, um, the pure turnaround statement was like a call for nonviolent civil disobedience. 1962. 1962. And that later some of the original writers kind of dis- disowned it and said like, it's impossible to agree with everything we said in that statement. Yeah. And then the Seattle seven was, um, like, like again, militant, non, right? militant non-interventionist mm-hmm. though, in the sense non-violent. that nonviolent interventionist. So like, again, like a sort of radical kind of pacifism. Yeah. And, um, and parts of that, I think, right, didn't like splintered and turned into the weather on the ground. Yeah, 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 exactly. So we get the sense that this guy was like really believed in a cause and, and was a big yeah. part of the new left. Yeah. I don't really know like if there's a relationship between this Port Huron statement and things like what was going on at um, with Marcuse at the University of Madison and mm-hmm. stuff. I don't know if there's like a connection to that kind of stuff at all. But I, I wish I knew more about that history. I don't know yeah. much about but it. But it is like an interesting to think about like the document in 1962 uh well, obviously we're still in involved general. in vietnam but not to the extent that we would be later on in thanks decade. a lot yeah. lbj yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting like think about again how like that th- this moment like happened it's very early in the decade i thought it would be later in the decade yeah, but yeah. it also explains obviously why people would become clearly more militant later on in the decade considering <laughs> The he, ramping up of the war. So it's interesting that he says, I was a author of, I think this is like a nice encapsulation of the baby boomer generation. Right. He says, I was one of the original drafters of the Port Huron Statement. I was a member of the Seattle 7. And I was a roadie for Metallica, Metallica. on the Speed of Sound tour. Like nothing <laughs> encapsulates the way that like people our parents age and older yeah. kind of were militantly political. And then all of a sudden we're like, but then I just got into the tunes, man. Love well, tunes. Well, that's like that's really, what's really interesting. You know, t- twenty years later, would this guy have voted for like Trump? And I don't think so. Bridges, the Bridges are nah, character. Yeah, he's yeah. too. He's too. He's too checked you out. You know who's a fucking Trump voter? Walter. Oh yeah, yeah. One hundo. Yeah. But see, that's really what's it's, it's again interesting if you do the math, and it, obviously like it lines up um, about like how old they'd be at this moment, like in their mid to late fifties. Right. And this is also the scene where so she's like doing like these weird like yoga moves, looks, looks right. like yoga exactly. moves. Well, he's mixing himself a drink. Yeah. Which, by the way, one thing that's not um, I'm pretty sure Lebowski's an alcoholic. <laughs> he drinks. <laughs> yeah, he drinks so much in the movie. I, I yeah, but again, like he's. He's I, just like such a cartoon. I just think it's interesting how he's well defined. Okay, but like if this was not, like a John Cassavetes film, yes, he'd have he, like you know it would be clear that he's. An I alcoholic. mean, I just think that we talk a lot about all the pothids in the movie and pothids, potheads. Oh, <laughs> I just like, like to say pothids. <laughs> it's more fun, but um, he we don't talk about the fact that he's like constantly drinking white Russians and he drinks more and more of them throughout the film. It's just interesting. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I mean, again, I just wouldn't. This uh, is a podcast. I, I would, We're trying to find things to talk about. <laughs> Fucking sorry. Christ. We've only been recording for an hour and 45 we literally minutes. Literally an hour and 90 minutes. <laughs> We're going to edit a lot of this out. Oh and God. so this is, oh, and then she basically says, like, oh, I'm trying to get pregnant. He does the spit take. And she basically says, like, oh, calm the fuck down. Like, I don't need your help. Yeah, that's uh, true. I'm going to take care of this baby by myself. The only thing that I wondered, and obviously I think, again, it might potentially speak to the politics of the film, is why a really strong, powerful woman like her would, would settle for Would him. bone down with Jeff Lebowski. Yeah. And we could talk about it because I have ideas about that. But this is so also. So what are they? We're well, only at an hour and 30 minutes. Let's, let's get into it. <laughs> let's just really kidding. get into it. Um, well, I think fundamentally what it, if you want to take uh, 
like Lebowski's character seriously, yeah. that you would maybe consider that the child represents like a continuation or maybe perhaps a possible rebirth of any sort of kind of radical 60s-esque politics. So he, so his kid is like a flower child. Right. That's the only thing that to I could... To be glib about it. Right. That's the only thing that I could think about. That in some sort of way, the film is attempting to gesture toward... And it, it's with the last line, right? Like, oh, you know, the dude abides, the dude abides. That there's a certain kind of sense that maybe the there is a potential for emancipatory revolutionary politics that failed originally in the 60s and will come back later which uh, also in the fucking bone (laughs) the bone really good (laughs) the bone Um, and so this is also when he has like um this like it comes to him right that like holy shit they've been getting screwed around right right, exactly um, and he realizes that there's no money Right, he realizes and no he money. Le- he goes, tells Walter, like, Walter, you got to come pick me up. And he says, I can't. It's, it's Shabbos. Shabbos. <laughs> so he goes outside, and he f- the Volvo's outside. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes up to the car, and it's John Polito, who's such a great actor. He's an amazing actor. Actor, and he, um, First of all, I'd like to tell you that I'm starting a band, and the name of the band is Brother Seamus. Mm. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, right, which is what, the, what he says is... Um, <laughs> Brother Seamus? Brother Seamus. He goes, like an Irish one. <laughs> A brother Seamus is a term for a PI. Rob, right. Rob Raymond Chandler yeah. invented it, so that's really great. Um, and then they talk, uh, which is great too, because it makes the, the this is also where the film noir things becomes explicit. He goes like, "Oh, I'm a gumshoe like you. I'm a you. gumshoe like you." Yeah. And um, he's looking for Bunny, Bunny Knudsen, yeah, because that's her real name. Right. A lot of characters in this movie have vaguely ethnic actual yes. names, like Donnie's actual name is totally. like a very Russian name. Yeah. I can't forget the name Karabatsos of it. Karabatsos. I think it's, I swear to God, it was Karamazov. Yeah. <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. And um. Walter's name is um, it's, it's a Koba, very Koba, 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 Koba or something. Koba it's a very right, Polish yeah. name, and Lebowski is you know what I mean. Like there's a very yeah, clear no, kind right, of yeah. like interesting thing they do that. So um, Walter picks him up, and this right. is also where Walter like where you find that Walter actually is not Jewish that he just right. converted because of his ex wife. He just converted because of and his then there's a really funny exchange about that, and the dude's right. like, dude, you're not. He's like, you're not Walter. You're not even. You're Jewish. not even Jewish, and like you broke up, and you're obsessed with your wife. But this is also where the sort of the like the, the long history and potential like Zionism thing comes back too, right? Because he basically says like, there's a thousand. There's like years between. Oh, it's so funny between like Abraham Moses and, 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 and Sandy Koufax. Yeah, Moses and Sandy yeah, came because like, he's like I'm part of this huge long tradition. So interesting. Yeah, and it's really it's really, really fascinating. Interesting. Um, we then cut immediately to a diner, and we see the toe of a of the fourth of German the nihilist German played nihilist. by Amy Mann, yeah. and, and she's the, missing the, a toe. Yeah, and they're ordering pancakes. So, and they're all ordering pancakes, but she's ordering in German, which is fucking hilarious. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a, she wants the pancakes. And I was like, mm, And again, pancakes. Flea being super distracting and fucking in this movie. <laughs> oh, pancakes. God bless. Um, so then they go to Lebowski's. They go to Lebowski's. We're wrapping up. We're getting there. We're really? only at hour 41. Woohoo! It's going to be um, an epic episode. So and they basically g- confront them and they're like, epi- hey. Episode? Yo. And he's like, you don't want her back. Yeah. So Lebowski's like, so so Brant's there and he's like, hey, dude, she's back on her own, back back on the, her own Oh, yeah, terms. that's right. They show up and she's she's crashed the car, right? She's crashed the, the car. Exactly. Yeah. And um, they don't want her there. Uh, basically, Lebowski's like you, 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 like, you didn't even give me the money. There was no money in that briefcase. Yeah. This whole thing has been a lie. Like, what's going on? And Walter loses his mind and decides Again. to pick up the because big Lebowski. Like, yeah, he's like, I think he's also lying about this. He can walk. And yeah. he picks him up and he, the big Lebowski cannot, cannot walk. Cannot walk. He drops him. He drops him. It turns out she was visiting friends in Palm Springs. And this did is not an interesting scene because Brant has no control over 
anything what's really. going on yeah. yeah exactly there's an interesting thing about this scene when he's confronting when little lebowski is confronting or jeff lebowski is confronting big lebowski and he says you thought i was a loser a deadbeat and that the square community wouldn't care about me and it's like that's an interesting reflection of the guy's yeah. psyche and how he, and he says like he says like yeah they wouldn't and he's like oh yeah you're right they yeah, wouldn't. it's yeah. so interesting <laughs> no you're right um, so they pull him out of the chair and they drop him and then the, it's then very good. Like he can't walk. He's yeah. It's so depressing. Yeah. But again, is this also the, are you supposed to read this as kind of like the eventual triumph, let's say of, let's say the losers over like the Reaganites. No, I, the I think so. No, because it immediately cuts back to them playing bowling, bowling. and everything's back to normal. Yeah. And you sort of feel this like, and we're back to everything being normal except they go outside and the nihilists are and there. the nihilists have burnt the car this yeah. seems really sad Poor car. and, and they get into a back. fight and flees flees oh back flees the faces of this movie <laughs> and the, the car is burnt out and uh walter confronts them and it leads to a fight in which walter bites off one of oh yeah ears. i forgot he about this peter too. stormer's ear it's really and better he, than uh he, yeah he th- being put in a wood chipper he throws uh, I, know, he hits, I know peter stormer isn't the one putting the wood chipper isn't it steve buscemi who's putting the wood chipper yeah. so he throws the bowling ball and it hits one of them in the stomach and they kind of fight off these German nihilists, but, but then Donnie, Donnie dies. Donnie has a heart attack. Donnie oh, and by the way, death. also it's, it's there's um, foreshadowing, right? Because in the bowling alley, remember, he, the first he's the one that bowls, and he doesn't get the strike. Right, the, and he the, seems kind of confused. He seems kind of confused. Yeah, it's right. really kind of interesting. Yeah, like, and there's the sound design is very like. Yeah, and he has a heart attack. Yeah. And it cuts and to the next scene where they're, they're at the more Did you catch what the psalm sign said in the background? I read it, yeah, and I, I thought it was I, very... Sim- I thought it was going to Something just about the passage of time. Yeah, I didn't pause it to read it. Yeah, which I, comes back to the life is a the tree of life. It's a tree of oh, life yeah, kind okay, of thing yeah. from And I read it very film. quickly, and I was like, all right, yeah, So they, they haggle over the $140 urn, and they end up taking him in a Folgers cup. And this is one of the things... So they take the ashes, and they talk about uh, Donnie well, being a surfer... Well, Walter does all the talking. Walter does all the talking. He talks about him being a surfer. He loved to surf from Pismo to wherever. All these places in California I've never fucking heard of. I don't even know if he was a surfer. I know, like I know. It's very, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, was he a surfer? Unclear. And um, this is, he throws the ashes, but the wind throws them well, all back. Well, and also before, and also this is, by the way, and I think... Before that, also, he mentions Nam again. He's like, God, you decided to yeah, take him. He starts him. talking about Nam. Just like you decided to take all those young men, <laughs> young men, like the right. Nikon Delta. Right, 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 right. Um, and then Hill 187, and then it cuts to like the dude, and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? And then the ashes scatter all, all over the place. And they mostly hit the dude. And I thought it was obviously funny, but also part of me was like, oh, that's... And I don't know if it's because I've seen it so much after this, but it felt cliched. The ashes thing? Yeah, like scattering the ashes, and then like you fall back in your face. It just felt like kind oh, of cliched Oh, yeah, what have you me. seen it in? I can't. Big Lebowski two. Big Lebowski two. Big Lebowski three. But then two Lebowski two furious. Lebowski Lebowskiing. Yeah, I just feel like <laughs> no it's, country it's, for Lebowski. It's, it's all over the Lebowski films. This actually at some point made me think about No Country for All Men, but I forgot exactly which moment. Uh. Anyway, but it's great too because then the dude's like Walter, what the fuck was yeah, that? Yeah, like, well, this is kind of an interesting <laughs> moment about codependency because they really need each other. They do because they have no one else. And there, there couldn't be more opposites. Because, opposites attract George. Because there's also another. There's a line earlier, right, where they're talking on the phone, and you just hear the dude's part, and he's clearly mad at him. But then right before he hangs up, he's like, "Yeah, I'll be at practice." And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Hangs up. So we cut back to the bowling alley, the bowling and they're bowling, and things are back to normal. And then he walks over to the uh, bar, bar, and he gets two Miller 
Genuine drafts. God, Champagne and beer. Is it? That's the, no, that's Miller High Life. God Fucking damn. hell. I'm such a poser. And sitting at the table is Sam Elliott. Oh, yeah. He's like, hey, dude. How you doing? Going, yeah. And they have a bit of a conversation and sort of the classic line from the film because he goes to walk away and what does the guy say to him? He says something about, well, something about abiding or like, just, you know, and he's like, yeah, the dude abides. The dude abides. The dude abides. Exactly. And that is... A bit of a, I think it's a reference to the there's a there's a but to the, the book of Genesis. I believe oh. it's a reference to the book of Genesis. Mm. And again, it's about passage of time yeah. and thinking about like ex- weathering the storm of what's happening to you. And uh, then isn't it yeah seven eight thou shall bone plentiful <laughs> and abide. <laughs> yeah, bra. <laughs> yeah, bra. <laughs> so the camera uh, at this moment, uh, Samuel looks right at the camera and he's like. Well, there's the story of the dude. I hope he wins the finals. And then he makes a comment about a human comedy. And he yeah. talks about how, you know, this is just the part of a larger. Well, this is where he says something about westward. Westward expansion that, until finally. Yeah. And then he stops and he's like, oh, I was rambling again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a great moment. And it's it's very, very key to kind of understanding. And that's where like he this gets. movie. Right. He gets to the. Like to pull up the curtain about like the politics and right, like right, Westward right. expansion and the reality of that. And he's like, uh, I'm going to back off a second. Right. And that's the end. That's the end of the movie. And it cuts right as a bowler in the background hits some pins. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I think it cuts is because there's no way that single take monologue lasted so long. And then that guy bowled a perfect strike. <laughs> and they're like, let's do it. Yeah. Cut out before <laughs> we see what happens. Um, God, yeah. Film. That's the big Lebowski. I fucking love this film. It's good. It's really good. I think I think it's um it's I think it's deep in the way that all their movies are deep, you know, but I don't think it reveals itself the first time you watch it. I think you got to watch Without it. Out question. Again. Yeah. yeah. I remember th- like watching this when I was probably like 21 or 22 and having no fucking clue what this No, film I had was no. About. I mean, I probably was 18 the first time I saw it. Yeah. So what is it film about? How would you The crime that is America? The crime that is America. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably true. So coming back to the only thing that it really does sorry, the only thing it really does contend with is no, that's race. fine. I was just talking. Sorry. Um. So with that in mind, let's come back to the subject of this podcast, which is Philip Seymour Hoffman. P C H. P S P S P S C. Philip C H. P S H. Um. Yeah, I think. Um. I, I think he's an interest. <laughs> he's an interesting. His character in the film and the approach to it is so interesting because he. Yeah, he's like an ambitious young. He's a go-getter. Conservative. Totally. He's a go-getter. He's sort of like milk toast, like white kind of thing. It's well cast in yeah. that regard because he's about the whitest white guy. It's also he's clearly unstable. The character himself is unstable. <laughs> he's like he can't really stay he can't really stay calm. He's taking everything too seriously. But you But there's a bro in there. There's a bro hiding. And you mentioned it too, and also the fact that his name is fucking Brant. Yeah. And it sounds so much like Brad. I was like, Oh my god. It's yeah, just like yeah, it's totally. right there. It's right there. Yeah. But he's definitely again like one of these types that you know, would go on to work at some sort of terrible, terrible think tank and do awful, awful things right. around the world and make, you know, cool half a million and live like in the suburbs of Maryland. Or So it's interesting to think about Philip Seymour approach to the character because I was reading online that like he didn't really talk about his politics, but he voted Green Party in the 2000 election. Huh. So he voted for Ralph Nader. Which I mean, I think tells you a lot about his politics. It does tell you a lot about his <laughs> yeah. politics, right? Like, so he's clearly not like... 
you know, I mean, obviously, I think he was clearly playing this character as the si- psycho and sycophant that he is. And there's a char- there's a little bit of caricature to it. It's a good performance yeah. by no, but yeah. caricature isn't necessarily a bad thing in a movie that is cartoonish. Like this, yeah, it would be great yeah. to um, like see what the Coen Brothers were like on set in certain, in certain sense of like, no, you're playing your way too realistic. Yeah. It has to be way more cartoonish. Well, and it's also going to be different from we're, we're going to see happiness next, and that's going to be an interesting film to look at. But like, I'm you know, not looking forward to it. Gradually. Oh, it's gonna oh. gradually I feel like he became known for being like you know he's this sort of you know some of his most celebrated performances he's like an open wound of a character like he's very like especially with Phil and Magnolia mm-hmm. and um, uh, his character in um, in Boogie Nights um, and before the dove devil knows you're dead where he's this sort of just guy that feels and experiences everything and doesn't have a lot of control over himself, which then you contrast with something like fucking Capote or the master where he's so in control. Right. But this, this is a good example of a performance where he's like nervously on the edge, but very refrained, like very sort of restrained. So it's, a, and it's also, I feel like this is a good start to fill because he doesn't take yeah. up the whole film, but he's definitely present. In the he's movie. in there. Yeah. And it's great. I mean, I just any excuse to go back and watch this. Yeah, it's a great movie. I'm glad I did it. Well, let's wrap it up there. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm still George Lebowski. And <laughs> why are you laughing? That's I don't know. Because you're God Christian name. Oh, I converted. And this was Uvra. Busta. What's the weirdest? What's the weirdest place you've ever pissed? Trying to think. No, you. Oh, I once I once peed in in an Arby's. In the in the bath. Yeah, I mean, I just don't like to admit that I was in the Barbies. I just feel kind of gross. It's Arby's. Yeah. <laughs>